Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Omar here. Um, This Sunday morning sermon you're about to hear is from Evangelist Leo Price. He's talking about King David when he went to the place of Baal Parisium. Now, in this message, he's talking about how we have to allow God to do the things that he can only do when we can't do it in our own strength. And we allow God to do it. He does the impossible and the supernatural. So we need to allow God to work in our lives and give it over to him. So hope you're blessed by that and hope you minister to. Amen to God. Thank God he's a God that's alive and he's not a figment of the imagination, but he's a living, pulsating, extraordinary God. And all other gods bow before him. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Amen to God. It's good to be here this morning with you. We've been looking forward and anticipating our time to fellowship and pray with you and be with you here. I promise to be brief no matter how long it takes me. (laughs) As you leave the building this morning, we have a uh, a product table set up of CDs and uh, books we'd like for you to stop and, and... If you don't buy anything for yourself, buy something for somebody else. Because what you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you. And so we're excited about that. A couple of books I'll mention real quick. One is entitled, What's Chasing You, You May Be Pulling. And this uh, uh, probably everybody in this room understands that to some degree. And then the other one is called Conquering Chaos. That'll be available. Thank you. Give the Lord a hand. Clap off. I am, uh, am really impressed this morning as I begin to feel the atmosphere of what we were doing in our worship and, and touching the things of God. It's going to tie in with the, what I want to share with you this morning as much as we can in this first service. I was thinking also, I, my, my brain just, just explodes sometimes when I, when I hear things. And when Pastor was reading that passage of Scripture out of, uh, of St. John 12, and he was talking about the woman uh, washing the feet of Jesus using uh, the Sennard the, the, uh, ointments on his feet, two things popped into my head. First off, that particular uh, ointment was made from olive oil. The olive oil for the, uh, the Jews, they would, um, they, they would put it in the menorah. The first drop that they would squeeze out was what they put in the menorah to light it with. Thought about that this morning when she was anointing the feet of Jesus who is the light. Some of you will catch that going home. (laughs) And then she dried his feet with her hair. A lot of people get away with a lot of different things because they think nobody can trace them. But your hair carries your DNA. Don't mess with me. I know how to shout. The moment her hair touched the feet of Jesus, her DNA was revealed. Where she came from and where she's going. You may not be able to detect 
protect it with scientific instruments or technology. But if God knows your DNA, that changes everything about you. So thank you for that extra message, Pastor. I appreciate it. In the book of First Chronicles, the 14th chapter, I want to read a few verses to you. It, it is important. I could tell you the story, but the emphasis that is written here will be beneficial to us. Verse 8 out of chapter 14, when the Philistines, turn to somebody and say the Philistines, heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against them. It's an amazing event. The Philistines had ruled. They had ruled because they were bullies and tyrants. They were evil and wicked. They were idolatrous and adulteresses. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over Israel, their life example and life style was threatened. You're always going to find difficult when you come against the enemy, especially when you threaten his lifestyle. Something to think about. And when they heard it all, of the Philistines went up to seek David and David heard of it and he went out against them. The Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim. It's an important word. I'd like for you to pay close attention to it. Spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim. David inquired of God. You see, when you go into battle, there's two ways to go. You can go on your own or you can pray about it. See, the moment you pray about it, you invite another element into the equation. And until you pray about it, you're on your own. And that doesn't mean or bode well. I appreciate people standing with me in difficult times, but I want them to pray about it. Because if they're not praying about it, they're going to enter in the war with me on their own effort. And that's not going to help me much because it's a spiritual warfare that ultimately must be conquered. There may be physical ramifications to it, but unless the war is won spiritually, being healed physically won't make any difference because what happens on the inner man is a thing that counts where God is concerned. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So he sees deeper than that. So when David inquired of God, I like that. He inquired of God saying, shall I go up against the Philistines and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? Important question. And the Lord said unto him, go up, I will deliver them into thy hand. I, in my early days, I started traveling in 1963, full-time in the ministry. But during that time, none of my family had ever been able to serve in the military. I felt a certain um, uh, obligation. So I laid aside my ministry exemption and, and volunteered for the Army. I don't recommend that. 
but I served my country and I've served my faith. The one thing that my DIs or drill instructors drilled into us, when you go to battle, you don't go to lose. You go to win. I said you go to win. If you're going into battle and already decided to lose, there's no need to show up because you've been beaten before you get involved. So when we go into battle against the enemy and these Philistines were proud of their giants, you see the enemy always wants you to know he has a giant behind him to deflect any idea that you might survive. Don't forget that I said Valley of Rephraim. Verse 11, so they came up to Baal Parisium. Turn to somebody and say Baal Parisium. You don't have to pronounce it right, just get close. <laughs> David smote them there. And David said, God hath broken in upon my enemies before me like the breaking forth of the waters. Therefore, they shall call the name of the place Baal Parisium. When they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. I like this. When David wins the battle, the Philistines leave their gods behind. See, it doesn't make any difference who the rest of the people are depending on as long as you're depending on God because all the other gods are going to fall vacant and go on vacation, probably to Hawaii. <laughs> they left their gods behind, and David commanded that they were to be burned. And so they destroyed that. Now catch these next few verses with me, as I hope you'll bear with me as we read these. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Now there's an amazing event there. They have been beaten thoroughly on this first encounter. To such an extent, fear has gripped them. They've left their gods behind. David has burned their gods. And all of a sudden, they're coming back for one more battle. Just because you win the battle doesn't mean the devil's going to stop. Because he wants to make you think by intimidation that it was just a freak accident. Somehow you got by. Spread themselves again. Therefore David inquired again of God. You see, if you understand how you won the first bat battle, it would be important probably in my mind at least to try it one more time the same way you won the first one. And David went before God the first time and one saw. David says to him, said, you know what? If it worked the first time, I'm going to go to my God again. And he prayed, inquired of God. And God said unto him, go up after them, turn away from them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shall hear the sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that when thou shalt go to battle, for God has gone before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. You see, if you understand how God works, the first time he wants you to understand that when you went into battle, he went into battle with you. But if you'll trust him on the second adventure, he will go before you. And David therefore did as God commanded him and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon to Gazar. And the fame of David went out in all the land and brought 
the fear of him upon all the nations. This story was so impacting to Samuel and to the, 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 the chronicler that the story is told again in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Why would he tell it again a second time? You see, when you look at the Bible and you see something that's mentioned more than once, there is something that God is trying to tell you to pay attention to. If you get it, you got it. Verse, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 20. And David came to Baal Parisium, and David smote them there, and the Lord hath broken forth upon my enemies before me with a breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place is Baal Parisium. I told you two things I wanted you to keep in mind. First one was the Valley of Rephraim. The Valley of Rephraim was known as the Valley of the Giants. It was already dominated by, it was already cultivated for, it was already in possession of the Valley of the Giants. The Giants, the Philistines owned the territory. And when they went to battle, David went to battle on their territory, in their land, in their stronghold, and God won the victory for him. Don't be afraid of where the devil has put himself in front of you. Don't be afraid of where the devil has positioned himself in front of you. When God says you're going to win, you're going to win. Rephraim is called the Valley of the Giants, the Valley of Rephraim. And the Bible said when that happened, when David won that victory, and, and Samuel tells it again, he says, and David called that place Baal Parisium. Baal Parisium is an interesting word from the Hebrew. It, it has a great connotation for it, and it's translated all through the Bible. One of the great English writers of all time translates it for us into the English. Baal Parisium is the place of breakthrough. The place of breakthrough. I like that, the place of breakthrough. And David changes the name of Raphraim to Baal Parisium. It simply means this. The enemy had called this my place, but David said it's no longer your place. It's God's place. It's your place of breakthrough. It's the place where you're going to move from where you are to where you need to be. It's the place where you're going to move from where God has placed you to where he wants you to be because he doesn't want you to stay stationary here. He wants you to move. Where does he want you to move? He wants you to move onto the enemy's territory. What the enemy has branded, what the enemy has claimed to be, what the enemy has stated, this is his place. God says, no, you tell him, this is your place of breakthrough. This is your place of breakthrough. Mark the spot when God comes in. The enemy has to flee. But one battle doesn't mean that you've won, that there's not going to be another one. Moses comes to the promised land and he says to the people, let's go up and, and possess it because God gave it to us. I love the history when I read this. God gave them a place they'd never even seen. You're not impressed with that. Let's see if I can help you on that one. 460 years of bondage under Egyptian slavery. 
they are accustomed and adjusted to being a slave. They're used to the sound of the whip over their heads. They're used to the abuse of their captors. They are comfortable now in that. And God says, I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to take you out of the place that you have become used to and accustomed to. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send you to a land that you've never seen, that you've never walked on. You've never even heard of it, but I'm going to give it to you. So when Moses is leading Israel out of bondage and they go into the wilderness and and they begin to fight the battles and God begins to push them toward Canaan and they begin already just about to move into the promise. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am preaching it. What would have normally taken 11 days journey took them 40 years. Took them 40 years to figure it out. But they finally figured it out. God says, I want you to go over there. And so Moses sends out some spies. Joshua and Caleb and 10 other guys, they go spy out the land. I mean, that's a smart thing to do. Survey it. You know, don't buy a piece of property just because you saw it on television might be in the desert and and, uh, they go over there and they come back to they come back to Moses they come back to the Israelites and and 10 of those guys said look we are as grasshoppers in their sight we are insignificant we are incapable we have not the ability to go and take the land we've seen them we've seen the bigness we've seen the giganticness we've seen their ability of strength and their animosity and they're they're not afraid and so they came back and said we we dare not go because we are as grasshoppers in their sight remember this what you're looking for depends what you see depends on what you're looking for and, and, and Joshua and Caleb look around and said to those guys, what do you mean? We are more than able to take the land. To possess it. There's always going to be people around you who say you can't do whatever God said you can do. I know a lot of Christians. I love, I love all of God's people. But I know a lot of Christians that... I appreciate them. I don't mind going to church with them, but I don't want to have any fellowship with them because they're so negative that when they leave the room, it feels like three people left. They, they know the, the uh, hee haw theme song by heart gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Look, folks, hee-haw is off the air. Just in case you missed the announcement. No. He says, look, Joshua and Caleb, no, we are well able, well able. But you see, if you hang around people who are slave-minded, 
who are accustomed to the culture, who have decided they're going to go with the world flow. If you hang around with people like that, they will diminish God's ability to take you from the slave camps of Egypt to the promise that God has gave you. Let me tell you right now, I'm tired of the devil messing with me. I've made up my mind that this is not the valley of Rephaim. I'm going to call my place Baal Parisium. It's my place of breakthrough. Why can I do that? I'll tell you how I can do that because 2,000 years ago in a lonely manger in Bethlehem, a Savior was born in a manger. God wrapped in human clothes. God wrapped in birth material, laying in a manger, spent the next 33 years trying to get Leo Price straightened out on who's in charge here. And then one day I discovered he's still large and in charge. And so I've made up my mind today, this is not the Valley of Rephraim. This is my Baal Parisium. 2,000 years ago on a cross crucified, Jesus died. And right there was my Baal Parisium. So every time the devil comes knocking at my door, I said, sorry, son, you don't belong here. This is my place of redemption. trying to find an ending. Every good preacher has seven. I've only had two. In the book of Revelation and in the book of in the Matthew especially, I like Matthew the 16th chapter. I'll try to formulate some kind of an ending here. Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples and they go to Caesarea Philippi. And they get off the boat and Jesus takes them to the base of Mount Hermon. And he stops right there and he looks at his disciples and he says to them, curious question, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say thou art... Uh, John the Baptist, maybe Elijah come back. So you're, we know that John's been claimed to Elijah, but that's what they're saying about you. And Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? We, we, we get lost in that, in that phrase. We, we get connected right there. But let me give you just a little bit of background. Where Jesus stops to talk to these disciples about who do men say that I am. He's looking at the backdrop, and the backdrop is that the mountain is Mount Hermon. At the bottom of Mount Hermon is a cave. It is a cave that is ornate uh, with all kinds of, of, of uh, sacrifices and offerings. It, it has altars. It has, it has gardens around it. it because it was what known, it was the cave of Pan, or what we would call today pantheism, multiple deities. God's not a who, he's an it. 
and, and Pan was what was the name of this cave, Parneum, Pan. And in this cave was where all the powers of darkness and, and demons and hell would come out of. That's, that was where uh, uh, the, the powers of darkness would come. And, and Jesus says, look, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter gets anointed. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, well, Peter, you've said well, because you got this by revelation. And I tell you this, Peter, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. You see, Jesus is looking in that cave at the bottom of Mount Hermon, and he says to them, they think the demons are coming out of there. But I want you to know something. No matter how big the demon is, no matter how mean the devil is, no matter how powerful he is, who do you say that I am? Somebody ought to shout in this place. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, being moved by the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, the anointed one. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven and upon this rock, that revelation, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Your God is greater than your adversary. He wants to defeat you with fear. He wants to defeat you with anxiety and, and doubts and fears because that's what he's the master of. If you live, listen to him, he'll make your life the valley of Rephraim, the place of giants. But if you listen to God... He'll make it Baal Parisian. Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up, I'll come in with him and sup with him and he with me. Powerful. I sitting at my desk and I read that scripture, I push it back. Push my back, myself back from the desk and I roll up against it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Let me see if I've got this right. The architect of the universe is knocking at my door. The bright and the morning star, my alpha and omega, my beginning at the end and the ends knocking at my door. The great I am is knocking at my door. He who possesses all things, who made the mountains and the hills and the valleys and owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, he is standing at my door and knocking. He doesn't have to knock. He is God Emmanuel. He is God incarnate. He doesn't have to knock at my door. If he wanted to come in, he could say simply, I made you, I can make another one just like you. 
I made you. He doesn't have to knock at my door, but he does. He knocks at my door. Why? It's because he wants me to allow him entrance because if I do that, it's by permission that he comes into my life and things begin to change. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I'll come in. My God, I can shout on that. I'll come in. But oh God, you don't know the predicament of my life. You don't know the failures, the ineptnesses, the sins, the aggravation, the angst, the fear, the, the, the powers of the darkness that, that live in my house. Jesus says, I don't care. If you'll let me come in, I'm the architect of the universe. I can make some changes to your house. I, I can change the interior. I can pull down the blinds and let the light in. Stands at the door and knocks. My mother had a picture, an old, old calendar. The calendar was so old, it was turning yellow and she'd put all the numbers and dates and years were off. But it showed a picture of Jesus standing at a door knocking. And I looked because I wondered why she had kept that for so many decades. And then I got real close and I got a good look at the picture. The handle was on the inside of the door. That's the only way he'll come in is you open the door. Now, here's the good part. Here's the good part. He comes in and says, look, I'm going to make you a deal you, couldn't, you can't pass up, but here's what I'll do for you. If you'll let me, I'll buy this broken down piece of, uh, of architect. I'll, I'll buy this demise. The floor is rotting. The walls are sagging. The windows are broken. And I'll get rid of all the garbage that you have on your table, and I'll clean this place up. If you'll let me, I'll buy this from you. I'll purchase it because I'll give my blood for you and if you have my blood, anything is possible. And, and I, I said to Jesus, that's, that's the best deal, but this is a run-down shackled place. Why would you want it? He said, that's okay. Remember, I'm a creator. I am I'm an architect. And so I said to him, I said, Jesus, come into my heart. It's all, it all belongs to you. And Jesus said, let's, let's have a covenant agreement. Let's sign here. Sign your name. All that I am, all that I have belongs to Jesus. And then he said to me, I'll sign underneath it, uh, uh, Jesus Christ. I'll sign it in my blood. And I said, that's a good thing. Thank you, Jesus, that I'll do that. And as soon as I did, something happened to me. And I ran up and got me a sign. I ran out to my front yard and I posted a sign, no trespassing. Some of you will get that in a minute. I put a sign up and then it wasn't long till the devil came up and knocked on my door. And I, I went to the door and I said, well, what do you want? He says, look, you owe a debt and you're going to have to pay for it now. And I said to him, I said, I, I just, just thought you might want to know, devil, I sold my property to somebody else. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm going to call him right now. You can talk to the new owner. And I said, Jesus... Answer the door. And from that day to this, the devil's not won any victory because the property is not mine. It belongs to him. It's my bail parisium. I draw my line in the sand. You can't pass that. This is a place that has been given to God. No trespassing. He knows. He knows that you've been pretty worthless in your life. You have vacillated. You went to church one Sunday and skipped the next six months. 
Um, Brother Price, you just don't know what I've done. No, and I don't want to. I used to, we used to have huge prayer lines in a lot of meetings, and we'd ask them, what do, you, what do you need to pray for? And they'd tell you, at the end of the prayer line, I went depressed. I went home depressed because of so many sorrows and brokenness. So I quit asking people what's wrong. I just pray for them. <laughs> Jesus, that's all right. Draw the line in the sand. Some of you in this room this morning have been tormented by the powers of darkness and the evils of your past life. It's time to draw your line in the sand and say, this is no more the valley of referee. This is Baal Parisium, my place of breakthrough. My place of breakthrough. Stand with two of your feet all across this room. I've told this story before, but it'll bear reputation. My father was an alcoholic from the time he was 15 till in his late 30s, dying of cancer of the stomach. Three doctors had given him up to die, but Jesus came into his hospital room and saved his soul and healed his body. See, no matter who's making the diagnosis, just remember that's not a verdict. People look at you and they say, you, you, you've messed it up. That's all right. You can say, yeah, I've done that. But God said, that's okay. I'm still working on the property. Still working on the property. If you let God do what he knows how to do because he's the only one that can do for you what you can't do for yourself, your life can be different than it ever has been before in your entire life. And it can only it can happen in a moment. I said it can happen in a moment. Jesus can change everything about you. Do you want that? Do you want that? I know some of you think, well, I, I don't need that. I've got it all covered and taken care of. Well, uh, you might want to pray again over a proud spirit because nobody's exempt. That's why David went to battle more than once more than once to win the victory. Can you say amen? Would you reach your hands across the aisle and take somebody by the hand? I want to pray with you. We're going to pray together. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.